We've got a lot to do today, so let's get going. All right, there we go. I said that's all I was going to say about it. I wasn't going to give a little hint in there. Galatians, chapter 4. <laughs> Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those by nature, slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. This is kind of a, a really strong uh, word that Paul is continually to, speaking to the Galatians because he's really he's afraid for them. He's afraid for their salvation. He's afraid of, of where they're going and what direction they are going in. And he's going to continue kind of, um, kind of speaking to them forcefully. He says, you know, before you knew God, you were enslaved to things that were not God's. Before that they were following Christ, this group of people, this group of people, they were involved with idols. They worshipped false gods. And when you worship, when, when, when something becomes an idol, and then you label it as God, and then all of a sudden you start to worship these false gods. Guess what? There can be, and I don't want to freak you out, but there can be demonic influences behind those things that can actually control people. And this is what's happening in, the, in, this, in, this, in this community. And Paul's worried that they're going to go back to worshiping those false things. Now we have to step back for a minute. And we kind of have to understand this idea of, of worship. Gods have been worshipped throughout history. If something has the label of God on it, many times in cultures, worship is ascribed to it. And so, we, those people worship demonic influences, worship false gods. And I guess we have to ask ourselves, what in our culture do we worship other than God himself? What are the things that we hold as an idol over God? Now, maybe you're thinking, well, come on, Dennis, man. I don't, I don't sing to, to anything. Oh, nay, nay. Let me explain to you what worship actually is. Webster defines worship as this. Extravagance, respect, or admiration of something or someone. It's about being devoted to something. And so, let me ask the question again. What in our culture do we worship? Movie stars? Rock stars? Just give me a minute. I'll have something to come back on that one with. I... I that's not in my notes. Gotta be able to take it. 
All right, you could all just go home. I'm leaving. <laughs> Football team. It's right. I went to a Giants game once. And um, really good seats. And they were playing uh, Philadelphia. Big rivalry. I was appalled. It's a game. And these people are losing their minds. Starting fights with other people because they liked Philadelphia. It's a game. So the Giants are the best team, but it's still a game. But yet we worship sports teams. We worship relationships. We worship money. We worship the blame. We worship our jobs. So many things in our culture pull our affection and our attention away from God. And what Paul is trying to communicate to the Galatians is this. You don't have to fall for that anymore. Because of Jesus Christ, you have been freed from that bondage. You have been freed from that slavery. And so, so have we. And so, again, I'm just continually asking these questions myself. Then, then why do we go back to those things? Why do we allow those things to hold us in their grip? Why do we allow those things to pull our attention away from God? We fall prey to the lie. We fall prey to manipulation. We find ourselves idolizing something. It's not God. Can't bring us any life. Paul says, You are known by God, and we know God, and we have been set free from those things. And you know, we just can't shake our heads at these old foolish Galatians because their story is our story, and our story is their story. And I bet everyone in this room at some point or another in your life, or maybe right now, you have fallen back into our, our or are into the slavery, that slavery that Paul is talking about. I've been reading this book. Uh, it's called um, Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything, and it's by this author, um, how do you say his last name, Dave? Is it, is it Tavijan or something like that? Anyway, great book. And he asks a few questions to help us try to understand, have we fallen, fallen back into that slavery? And he asks these questions. What are you really living for? I mean, what are you really living for? What are you functionally depending on to make your life worth living. What that means is your day-to-day -day life. What are the things that you look to to make your life worth living? And then he'll go on to ask, uh, what are you trusting in to gain acceptance or approval, to, to experience security and significance, to find meaning and purpose? If your answer to all of those questions, to any of those questions, is anything but Jesus Christ, you have an idol in your life. You have a false God that you're worshiping in your life. And you are being pulled back into that slavery, pulled back into that sin. You are under the yoke of slavery again. Christian, let me tell you this. You are known by God. He knows you. And the word know, or, uh, the way it, it's uh, known, the word known, it's, it's, it's um, the Greek word for um, pouring out uh, affection on someone. God pours out his affection 
on you. You are known by God. And so why do we settle for anything else? Why do we settle for something that's less? Why do we settle for worthless idols that keep us in, in chains? And yeah, the chains may, may look golden, but they're still chains and they still keep us in bondage and they still keep us down. Why do we settle for anything else but Christ? And see, I think, I believe that that's, that's the enemy's consolation prize. Like if your, if your uh, name is written in the book of life, right? You have eternal life because of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. And, and, and so the, the enemy has lost you for eternity to Christ. And so what's, what's his next best ploy to get at you? Pull your attention away from God. to make He's working hard to make you all irrelevant for the kingdom of God to make you distracted so that you might worship a little bit of this or, or you know, your job becomes more important or even a sports team becomes more important or even whatever it is. And if he can keep you irrelevant, he can keep other people from knowing the truth of Jesus Christ. His consolation prize, that's all he's got. Good one. Good one. Don't be distracted the things in this world that pull your affection away from Christ. Now, we're going we're gonna to bounce around a little bit going from here. So, go to verse 17. People are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, I'm sorry, how do you say that? It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not so not just when I'm with you, my dear children, for whom I again in pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. What Paul is telling these people, these Judaizers are coming in and saying, you have to follow the law. You have to be circumcised. You have to play by the rules. And he's going, man, they don't want anything that's good for you. They just want to they just want to blow smoke at you. They want to tell you the things you want to hear to get them on your side. But there isn't anything good that's going to come of this. They want to get something from you instead of giving something to you. They are ruining the freedom that you have in this Jesus walk. And if the Galatians let themselves be taken in by this, uh, these lies, then they will be back to where they started again. Now, we have to understand that this is all taking place in the context of religion. We, back then, they didn't separate culture from religion as kind of we do now. So, so they're looking at it in the whole uh, realm of culture is religion for them. It's a religious thing. And what they're being offered here is a religious product, something that's very marketable. And what it says is, if you do the correct things, if you do the correct practices, if you follow the right rituals, if you establish the rules and you follow those rules and you follow them well, you will know exactly where you stand with God. And in fact, you can even manipulate God just a little bit more so that he can find, you can find favor with him because of all the cool things that you are actually doing. And then you can just kind of walk with your shoulders a little back and say, 
ha, look at me. Look at what I'm doing. And you know what's even better? Then you can look at other people who may not be following the rules quite like you're following the rules. And you can kind of just kind of look down your nose at them and say, well, you know, they just aren't measuring up. And all of a sudden you begin to elevate yourself above them because they're down there and you are up here. You're feeling pretty good about the way you're handling things here. You got your little rule book all set and you're following those rules and God must be really happy with you because you're following your own rules or at least the ones you think that you can follow. You see, we can't create the playbook. The playbook, the playbook is just a figment of our hallucination. It, it just doesn't work, but we do and we try and then we take religious plays out of the book and we try to march down the fields with our playbook. And so the quarterback throws the pass and you're running the fade down the sidelines and you catch it over your shoulder between two defenders and you plant your feet inbounds and you get kicked out of bounds and you make for a 38-yard gain and you really think it changes the whole course of the game. God's game. Playbooks are good for football. They are not good for your journey with Christ. Rule books are good for football, baseball, hockey. They are not good for your journey with Christ. That kind of religion, maybe I'll call it. What was that? The cross is creaking. That kind of religion, it gives us the, the idea that we're in control. But we got this. I'm in control. And let me tell you, if, when you begin to think that you're in control of your faith journey, things are going to spiral out of control very, very quickly for you. And when you think you're in control of your faith journey, you don't have to rely on faith anymore. <laughs> Who needs faith? Who needs to trust in God? I got this. I can trust in myself. I got the book. I'm calling the shots. And we create for ourselves a system that ensures our, ensures our spiritual success. Feels good. It looks good. Faith becomes the afterthought. It becomes kind of a, a waste of time. Trust God? Why? I trust me now to, to get right with God and, and to do those things. And you know, all throughout history, humanity has, has liked control. We, we like control. In fact, control has started probably every war that's ever fought. People want control. Control feels good. It's comfortable. It's well-defined. There are not a lot of questions when you're in control. And if there are questions, well, you can answer those questions because you're in control. And so, and so you got this, right? And, and sometimes being in control is a good thing in control of your emotions, or in control of your frustration, in control of your anger, or uh, in control while you're driving. Or you know, I, I think of the, the Schmitz, they love to ski. In control while you're going down the hill skiing. Control can be a good thing, but controlling God or controlling your relationship with God? For real? Let me, let me, just, let me just give you a... Um, my thought on that. That's dumb. 
To try to control your relationship with God. Yeah, not so much. But that doesn't mean we still don't try. I mean, that doesn't mean we, we still try to, you know, well, maybe, maybe just a little bit of control would be good. Can you imagine controlling your relationship with controlling God? Well, wait a minute. If I'm in control, that means God's not in control. And if God's not in control, I must be walking in more freedom because I have the freedom to make the call and do whatever I want to do. And, and it takes it out of God's hands. God's hand. So wait, let me just think about this in a linear thought process here. If I'm in control of my God relationship, that means that I can probably gain control of all of my other relationships. And then if I have control of all of them, I would be like, I'd be the man, right? And I can be almost like a superhero. I can control people. I can wear a cool shirt. Maybe it can have a, a D and an M on it, not to be confused with a BM because that would just be wrong, but like, like a DM, I would be like the man. Control. I've got my hands on the wheel, man. I'm going to drive this thing right to where I want it to go. And I know how I'm going to get there. And I am going to figure it out. And I will know exactly where I stand. And then when you're in control of something, you elevate yourself above that thing that you are controlling. That's just kind of the way it plays out. And could you imagine elevating yourself over God? Okay, let me reiterate my thought a few minutes ago. That's dumb. That's, that's sin. That's the foundation of all sin, making something ultimate besides God. And when we take, when we try to take that position, we lose, uh, we lose the beauty of faith. I mean, because faith really is a very freeing, and it's hard, I know, but it's just this, the nuances of faith are just amazing. And what we're left with are doctrines and, and moralism and rituals and all of those things that are in our rule books so we can get closer to God or, or even worse, try to manipulate him to get him closer to us. The Galatians are being offered this really nice, packaged, well-thought-out and defined system of religion. And Paul goes, no, not the way it works. That's not good. You're going back into slavery and, 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 and they don't have to trust in God anymore because they can just trust in themselves. Now what I want to do is I want to bounce back to a little story that Paul tells the Galatians. This is Paul talking to them. He says, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me for I became like you. You have done me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. What has happened to all your joy? Can I testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me? Have I now become your enemy for telling you the truth? Paul wants to remind them of how he actually came to Galatia. He was traveling somewhere. He didn't mean to stop there, but he got sick. He got sick. 
he got hurt, he couldn't travel on anymore, and we don't really know what was happening, but maybe the reference to the eye thing on the bottom, maybe he had an eye illness and some schmutz was coming out, and so he had to just stop because he couldn't see anymore, and these people come alongside him, and, and they help him out. But it says that it was probably a big deal, it was probably a cramp to them, because it was a trial for them to help this guy who just wanders in. So here comes Paul, right? And he, he comes to Galatia, he comes comes sick. He doesn't come as some amazing preacher with all the preacher type credentials. He really doesn't have a big posse. He doesn't have a worship team, no entourage. He's not bringing them a whole new rule book to follow. He comes, he comes broken. He kind of comes like Humpty Dumpty, all broken, and they have to put him back together again. You see, he's not in control of anything. In fact, he, he has lost control and he is at the mercy of strangers. And so Paul has this plan and he's going to travel. And his plans get changed, not because he wants them to get changed, because of circumstances. And the Galatians, they, they're going through life and their plans now change because now they're going to take care of this guy and they're going to show him compassion and love and they're going to serve him. And so all of these uh, Plans change, and, and nobody really knows, you know, um, nobody really planned on change. And what was the outcome? Paul preaches them the gospel, and they know salvation. And they experience joy. In the context of not knowing, in the context of being out of control, these people experience joy. We have to continually keep reminding ourselves that this book of Galatians is a book about freedom. And freedom in Christ doesn't come when we try to take control of people or when we try to take control of things. Listen, I'm just not saying you should live your life like a hippie and just like, blah, 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 whatever, you know, but we're talking about micromanaging every single detail of your life. There is no freedom in that. You're, you're, you're been, you've been free to just live your life and engage it in all of the colors and all of its shades and just engage it in the name and in the power of Jesus Christ. There is where freedom comes. Freedom comes through compassion. Freedom comes through service. Freedom comes from putting other people in front of your desires, of your even your needs. That's where our freedom comes. We don't find it in control. We don't find it in just trying to find quick and easy answers to our problems. You will never be set free from Dr. Phil, Dr. Oz, or Dr. Drew. And please shut Oprah off. Freedom is not found in those things. Okay, I'm going to make a big, huge statement now. Okay, ready? Here we go. Freedom only comes when you trust in, wait for it, Jesus. Freedom only comes when you trust Jesus Christ. You can put a period, put an exclamation point, close the book. That's where our freedom is. It's always been about None of us are good enough. None of us will ever be good enough on our own. But with Christ in us, when God looks upon us, 
Paul is going to finish his whole thought process uh, with the Galatians, this whole kind of section here. He's going to tell them an Old Testament story. I've kind of broken it up a little bit. He said, tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and one by the other, uh, and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born as a result of human effort but his son by the free woman was born as a result of divine promise. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born by human effort persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what, do, what does the Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman but of the free woman. Now, I know that's kind of, that's Paul, and you got to really think about that. Let's break it down a little bit. Remember the story we started with Abraham. Um, Abe gets uh, God's promise. God says, hey, I want you to go. Tells him to go. I'll make you into a great nation. I'm blessed people who bless you, and, and, and the whole world, all of the people are going to be blessed through you. And then he says, I'm going to give your offspring land. They were going to possess this land. The problem that Abraham had was he was getting older and he had no offspring. There were no children. And they started to get a little worried. In fact, I remember in, in the story when the angel of the Lord comes to Abraham and says, hey, guess what? In a year, yeah, you're, you know, Sarah, she's going, to have, she's going to have a baby. And Sarah laughs. And the angel says, why'd you laugh? She says, I didn't laugh. He says, oh, yes, you did. You can't lie to an angel of the Lord. I mean, I find that comical in and of itself. And so they don't think it's ever going to happen. So they devise this plan. Sarah is going to give Abraham her maiden, her helper, her maid, so that Abraham could have a child. Okay, just so you know, they make babies today the same way they made them back then. So, so Abe has got to... Please don't make me explain that. So, and, and, and so it's not his wife. It's not his wife. And she becomes pregnant and she has a son and his name is Ishmael. And then she's picking on Sarah because na 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 na, I have a son and you don't. But then, just as God's promise came true, Sarah has a son. His name is Isaac. You see, Ishmael was born of situation where God's promise was doubted, where people decided they were going to do for God what they thought they needed to do for God. They were going to take care of God's business. Isaac was born because of God's promise. God did what he said he would do. Ishmael caused problems. Isaac carried on the covenant that God gave to Abraham. The biggest mistake Abraham made in his whole life, he decided to come up with the playbook and take control of what he thought that he should do to get God to do what God said he was going to do. The biggest accomplishment of Abraham's life, the biggest accomplishment 
of Abraham's life is what God did for him. In spite him. The moment we begin to fight church, do it our way, to play by a religious rule book, we are going to get tangled up in our own plans. We're going to get tangled up in ourselves. I'm telling you, we are going to be disappointed because we just can't even live up to our own standards. But because of the work of Christ in us, we can know the glory of God and the standard of Christ. It's done. It's finished. We don't have to be slaves anymore. We don't have to try to control everything anymore. In that book I'm reading, uh, the author writes, he says, freedom is not about behaving better. Freedom is about believing better. You tracking with that? Freedom is not about you trying to behave better, follow the rules better, study the Bible more, uh, pray more. I mean, we even put religious weight upon our, our shoulders. Freedom comes when we believe better, believe in the finished work of Christ on the cross, believe in the intimate relationship that we have with God, to trust him in everything, to give him control, to walk around with your hands open instead of with your fists clenched tight. To believe better is where our freedom lies. We cannot add a single thing to the work of Christ on the cross. It'd be like us walking up to the ocean with a cup of water and spilling it in and going, look what I added to the ocean. It's, 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 it's absurd. And so my questions for you this morning, where are your idols? Where are those things that you have made ultimate over God? What are you living for? Where are you finding your worth? Where are you finding your value? Where are you finding your purpose? If it's in anything but Jesus, man, you're going down the wrong road. You're going down a road where you're going to bang your head against the wall over and over and over again. Where have you allowed yourself to be dragged back into the yoke of that slavery? Where have you tried to take control? Because you got this. I got this. I can work through this. I can do more and and get better. Where in your life do you keep up control and say, I got nothing. Maybe that's our prayer this week as a community. God, I got nothing. But because of Christ, I possess everything. I want you to say that over to yourself all week long. God, I got. You can even use God. I know that's not proper English, but use it because it'll give you a little edge. I got nothing. Because of Christ, I possess. Lord, this is such simple teaching, but man, I don't know why that we struggle with it so much. 
God, we want to give you control. I don't, sometimes I don't even know what that looks like or how, how to do that. Lord, I know I can't be the only one struggling in this room. God, I want to ask you for each person in this room. Do some work this week, Lord. That we would begin to first realize who we are because of Jesus Christ. Beloved son and daughter, heir of the kingdom, forgiven, justified, made righteous with Christ. It is on the cross. And help us to give you control of everything. Find those things in our life, Lord. Show them to us where we have put them before you. We would look to you as our everything. But I want to thank you for grace, even in the midst of our dumbness. I thank you for your mercy that you pour out on us every single moment of every Thank you for the love of Christ sacrificed on the cross. That we can crawl up into our, our daddy's lap and just be. We do pray these things in, in the name of Jesus. Amen.